Hello and welcome to The Home Building Hero, where we help you become the hero of your new home by providing you all the information that you need, no matter if you're building, buying, or designing your next project, we got you covered here at The Home Building Hero. I'm very excited today to introduce a special guest on our podcast. I'm with Robert Dietz, the Chief Economist from the National Association of Home Builders. Hey Rob, how you doing today? I'm doing good. It's good to join you, David. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on the program. Um, we've... Uh, you know, been together at several NHB meetings, and uh, we did a, a panel together a couple of years ago. It seems like forever now. Uh, <laughs> happier times, yes. Yeah, yeah, in Wisconsin a couple of years ago. But I thought it'd be really great to have you on. Obviously, a lot of stuff is changing quickly. We're in a very fluid um, situation here with COVID-19, especially uh, with the building industry. Um, there's just so much going on. We had a lot of challenges before this. Uh, with labor and, and land and all those kind of things and affordability. And, and now uh, we have this pandemic uh, to deal with. So I guess before we jump into all of that, um, why don't you just give me a little brief background on your history as an economist and how long you've been doing projections and things like that. I was in economics since I was about age 18. Um, I, I went to uh, George Washington uh, University in Washington, D.C. for an undergrad, and my very first professor turned out to be the housing economics professor, yeah. and kind of recruited me in the field. So after that, I got a Ph.D. in economics at Ohio State. I'm a Midwesterner, and um, I worked on Capitol Hill for a few years after graduate school, learning tax law and doing real estate analysis. And now I've been at NHB for uh, 15 years. And wow, I'm trying to believe it's been that long. Yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> well, uh, we appreciate it. That's one of the highlights of going to the, the annual meetings uh, at the association is um, hearing, you know, your forecasts and updates. And uh, it's always really interesting to kind of see where you think things are going. And you do a really great job of kind of, you know, pulling data and then finding a way to analyze it into terms that, you know, as builders and developers and things can really understand and, and hopefully put to use. And um I'm sure you're kind of like the weatherman where you're not always right all the time, but, uh, right. <laughs> but you, but you know, all you can do is look at the past data and then try and predict, right? That's right. Absolutely. Cool. So as far as um, pre COVID-19, what were your kind of projections for the housing industry as far as around the country this year? Where did you think things were going to go? I, I think you know, there's a lot of sort of sadness associated with the pandemic, but uh, for the housing industry in particular, we had a lot of momentum going into 2020. Uh, the home ownership rate had been trending up since 2016. That had been continuing. We were looking for single-family starts to increase about 3% this year. And it was interesting at the International Builder Show, I was one of the more conservative uh, forecasts. Yeah. When it came to single-family construction, there were forecasts out there for 7% gains, 10% gains. Wow. Uh, so I thought we were going to really see a good year. And, of course, that all reversed itself in March. Absolutely. Yeah. And conditions were good. I mean, we had, you know, super low interest rates and, uh, you know, um, low supply of existing homes and things like that. So that, you know, and uh, if GDP was going well, you know, economy was humming along, unemployment was what, 3% or something? Three and a half percent. Yeah. I mean, 50 yeah. year low in unemployment. You can't get better than that. Yeah. So it, everything was in, in place to be really good. And then obviously kind of things started to to change rather quickly with this. And it was amazing how overnight you know, uh, it was like, I just remember Trump coming on the TV and I was all of a sudden just like everything just changed just almost in a moment's notice as soon as like the travel ban went on. And how, how have you, uh, you know, adjusted your projections and things based on what you've seen with the pandemic so far? 
revising the forecast over the last two months has been a process. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, unfortunately, I feel like we've been chasing it down for a period of time. Uh, you know, first it was, okay, you know, we're, we're clearly going to see if, well, the 2020 numbers are going to look bad on net. Um, I think I think we're near now a, a good understanding of, of what things are going to look like. Uh, for example, uh, for the year, we think GDP is probably going to be down about 6%. Wow. Uh, second quarter is going to be a historic decline. We've got it down at a negative 30% growth rate, which would be uh, the worst performance for a single quarter since World War II. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the impact of government-imposed shutdowns as a public health strategy. Yep. You know, government uh, can stop things very suddenly. Yeah, that's sure. what we're seeing in the data. Yeah, the unemployment it, rate is likely to go to twenty percent, and all that's going to take a toll on housing demand. Yep. I, yeah, and so let's just—I know that was a question down the road as far as unemployment. How do you feel? I mean, obviously, if people aren't working, you know, they're going to be stressed to either pay rent or to or, or to buy or build. Um, I mean, how how much of an impact does that have on on housing? Do you think, especially when it it jumps that fast? Yeah, I mean, the thing to keep in mind from a demand perspective, the, the economy nationwide has lost 33 million jobs here in just a, a few number of weeks. So the unemployment rate is going to kind of get near 20%. Now, what's key about this is it was really sudden in its creation. And we do think as the economy opens up that a lot of that will get rehired. That a lot of this is, is furlough effects. Not all of it. Um, sure. We think the unemployment rate by the end of the year will get down to 10%. And it's sort of sad to think that that's, that's going to be the good news because the 10% unemployment rate was the peak rate in the Great Recession. Sure. Uh, but it would be a dramatic improvement from where we are now. And then the impact that it's going to have on housing demand really depends on, based on reading the ec economic uh, research literature, how long are people unemployed? And there's, there's a good number of studies that find that when people are unemployed for longer than six months, they change their consumption plans for things like housing and cars. Sure. When it's a short-term unemployment where they can see the light at the end of the tunnel, they tighten up a little bit and they go back to work. And so I think it's, it's a question of whether this lasts more than two quarters. If we can keep it contained, I think the economy has a faster rebound. If we can't, we really risk uh, kind of a long slog and getting back to where we were. Sure. And, you know, obviously it's hard to, this is such a new thing. We've never experienced this before. So it's always hard to kind of project and predict. Um, do you think there's at least some chance that people that are in apartment buildings would, would want to move to a single family home just because of the fact that, you know, with the nature of this type of disease where it's so easily transmitted that, you know, there really is the safest place to be is in a home, um, you know, where you don't necessarily have a shared heating system and shared elevator buttons and door handles and all these kind of things. Uh, do you think that would boost at least the lower end market? I do. I, I, I think if we're thinking about sort of really high density environments, frankly, places like New York City, I think we are going to see some reduction, permanent reduction in housing demand. And the sure. winners from that will be the inner suburbs out through the exurbs. Um, and, you know, we got to add into that not only just safety issues uh, from virus related uh, impacts, but also the fact that about a third of the American workforce right now is working at home. Yeah. That's not wow. going to be easily rolled back. So if, if people's commutes, which if you think on like a weekly basis, maintaining your car, taking public transit, and the time required to get to your job, if that's cut in half because you're able to work at home two, two and a half days a week, 
people can definitely drive further to qualify for a mortgage. So that's, that's going to leave an impact. And then for people closer in, uh, you know, I like, I'm, I'm talking to you from my office, which is really yep. my bedroom at home. I yep. would love to have more space. So I think that's going to offer some modeling opportunities. Yeah. And we've, uh, we did a podcast recently about how home designs can change because of this and, you know, talking about, you know, more home office space. And the only thing I can relate it back to is, you know, looking at nine 11 and saying, you know, that was one of those big paradigm shifts in the country where people were afraid to travel. They were afraid to do things. And what we saw, at least in our market was that people were um, investing more in their homes after that event. So not right away, but like six months later, you know, people were building way bigger homes than they ever did in the past. Um, we started doing finished basements with bars and rec rooms and right. they built the backyard patios and, and they made like staycation places. And so some of this kind of flashes back to that to me in a way where I think some people will do that and they want to entertain more at home where they're safe, uh, but maybe in a different way, you know, I think we'll see more um, home offices, you know, where people are going to commute less. Um, I think we'll see maybe some different rooms. You might see a decontamination room, Amazon delivery centers where you can get packages safely. That's the kind of stuff I'm thinking about. But is that, does that ring as a, a possibility based on what we saw back in 2011? I, I, think, I think that's right. And I think if you think back, uh, trends that have been in place, yeah, since yeah. 2001, uh, yep. trends that have been in place uh, since the Great Recession are basically going to accelerate. So we had already seen increases in consumer preferences for things like home office space, uh, home gym space. Sure. Those things are going to accelerate. And then the other thing is trends in terms of redeveloping retail and some office footprints into residential property. Yeah, that makes uh, get sense. Shopping malls being redeveloped into urban villages. I think that will continue as well. Yeah, and I, I know you obviously concentrate more on the single family aspect of it, but I would imagine that, you know, some of these um, big commercial buildings, you know, I think a lot of companies that have lots of employees might be looking at this work from home thing. And if it's successful for them, maybe saying, do we need this big of facility? And so I, I would imagine that might increase the supply of uh, those type of listings and, and, and buildings and things in the market as well. You know, we've looked at that a little bit. I, I, that's sort of my gut reaction that the demand for that kind of space is going to go down. But there's a counter argument, which I find interesting, which is in an era of social distancing, some of that office and space requirements will actually increase. Sure. Kind of yeah. push and pull. I think on office that it'll be a net decline, but maybe not a, a big net decline. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense where if you, if you really need people still in the same, you know, building or space, you know, yeah, they may need larger spaces and maybe get rid of the tight cubicles and, and, and increase the space or even just looking at some of these strip mall type things, you know, if you get a barbershop, you maybe can't have the chairs so close together and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that that's a good uh, counter argument to that. It'll be kind of interesting to see how that develops over the next, you know, year or two. So you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but how, how long do you really think this will take for us to fully recover from this, this pandemic and the situation that we're dealing with right now? Well, the easy answer is that we recover when a vaccine is deployed. And I sure. think 18 months, you know, one of the strange things about this, of course, we study economics and finance and tax law and, and government affairs, but, you know, we have to study the uh, viruses here. I think 18 months is, is a good uh, forecast for when a vaccine will be developed. It'll probably take a few more months to be fully deployed. It doesn't have to be universally deployed, just enough sure. to get the herd immunity. 
But what I've been recommending to builders and remodelers and land developers is, is think in terms of two months, two quarters, and two years. Two months we're in right now, we're coming to the end. The data is going to be really bad. This is the, the kind of the scary period, effectively. Yep. Two quarters is the stabilization period, phased reopenings, what's the new normal look like? And then two years for the economy to get back in the trend. And during that two year period, we're gonna have a lot of help from the Federal Reserve that's gonna be all in trying to keep us from a liquidity crisis. And so interest rates are gonna remain historically low uh, for the next two years. And that will help housing demand. So you're saying we're we're still gonna we're gonna have low interest rates for a while, and hopefully people should be buying houses, right? Yeah, well, and, and that's part of the forecast that over the last two or three years I've gotten the most wrong. Uh, yeah, I think we've been pretty accurate on things like single family starts, but we kept waiting for interest rates to go up as part sure. of the negotiation process, and then we had the housing soft patch at the end of 2018, and the Fed then cut rates. So rates yeah, went I remember down. one of those panels, and we were talking about five percent and and going right. up a little bit. And you're like, whoa, well, that's not not even close anymore. But no, no, um, three and a half. Things were humming along. Okay, well, that's. I mean, that's a positive. And I think, you know, for anyone that's going to enter the market or or just bought to be able to know that rates are going to be stable for a while, uh, I think that's obviously a very good thing. And I think that'll you know bode well for us. How, how about builder confidence? I mean, obviously, you guys track that too at NHB. I'm sure that's probably dropped a bit uh, over the last couple months as everything got shut down. How is that faring right now? The April reading of the NHB Wells Fargo Housing Market Index, which is our our flagship confidence measure, just took a historic decline. Uh, In March, kind of building what we were talking about earlier in terms of the momentum the housing market had, it was at a level of 72. Any reading above 70 is really strong. And it dropped 42 points uh, in April to a level of 30. So that that 42 point drop was the biggest drop in the history of the index that goes back to 1985. Uh, it was the first time we fell below the 50 break even level uh, since 2014. And it was the lowest reading we've had uh, since 2011. Um, wow. What it indicates is that the second quarter readings on single family starts are gonna be way off where they were uh, at the beginning of the year. But we're starting to see some stabilization, like I said, that two quarter process. And uh, mortgage applications are up, and uh, we'll start to see certain areas of the country, new starts come into the system. Yeah, I've had some conversations with um, our state realtors association and, and talking to some realtors around the country, and they're still very optimistic. They've been busy. Um, now, certainly, they're working in a different market, usually a lot lower-priced inventory. That's still been moving very well. They've been very pleased with activity, sales, and so forth. Um, obviously, new construction is much more challenged. It's more expensive. Our still number one concern is affordability, um, and and that still is the case. So, um, do you, do you think that um, um, one of our big issues is obviously labor, and with things slowing down, that's obviously going to put less demand on labor. Do you think that will help reduce uh, builders' labor cost in in the next year or two because of of this? Obviously, labor is going to be a complicated issue. Uh, we're going to have historically high unemployment, uh, which means the labor supply has definitely gone up. Sure. I think one of the things we're going to face within the industry, the housing industry, remodeling, single family construction, apartment construction, is an ongoing skills shortage, even while there is a sort of a, a, an increase in the amount of labor that we can recruit from. This is a real opportunity to bring people into the industry. But like you said, construction is more difficult than bringing uh, a, a, an existing home to the market. It's going to take time to train those people. 
Sure. So, yeah, you can't put a waitress or something that's unemployed or a waiter and then throw them in and have them start mitering corners and in building roof trusses and things like that. It's just so yeah, the wage pressure is a little bit reduced, but at the same time, the productivity in the sector is likely to take a hit for about a year and a half. Um, I think over the long run, this is a, this is a really good opportunity for builders working through their their local builders associations, the state association. I know you were president. Yep, your state association work through those those organizations to bring young people into the sector. This is a moment to do that. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. If anyone's looking to to add or build to their team, obviously, you know, you're going to have you know, a, a large supply of people to, to, to pick from. And, um, you know, uh, many of us, myself included, we reduced our staff um, fairly early on with this just to get ahead of it. And, um, you know, knowing that, you know, we will likely be able to, to pick somebody up very good at some point if we need to and not to worry necessarily about that like you have in the past where it's like, oh, I've got to cling on to everybody now. It's kind of like, well, there will be a good supply of, you know, I think uh, talented labor out there. Uh, as long as you're on the front end of it versus waiting till the last minute to, to bring somebody on. I think that's right. Uh, yeah. So um, as far as um, trying to be more positive, are there any positive signs uh, that you're seeing out there that this won't be as long of a downturn as, you know, what we went through in, in you know, 2010 and in those times? It, the, the sudden stop of this, the, the suddenness of this, I think is going to play out in the front end and the back end. So uh, my, my forecast for GDP is a little more U-shaped. I do think it's going to take about two years to get back to trend, but I'm really convinced that home building along with some sectors in the, in the manufacturing industry are going to be leading elements of the economy. I think we're going to see a little bit more of a V-shaped uh, return for building. Uh, we're, we're already seeing some green shoots. Uh, the mortgage applications data has trended higher for the last three weeks. It's still down year over year, uh, but it's growing. Um, and uh, consumer confidence hasn't fallen as fast as we, uh, we would have expected given the, the levels of unemployment. So I think if we can carefully, but importantly, focus on reopening the economy in these stages, I think, and, and get many of these people back to work. There's, there's an estimate out there that says maybe half the people who have lost their jobs are really on furloughs with expectations sure. that they will reattach to their former employer, that there's a window of time where we can essentially restart the economy with some lingering recovery issues. And if that's the case, we would expect to see home building in the lead, adding jobs and getting back to trend growth. Well, that'd be fantastic. And I know with, uh, you know, unemployment, obviously, you know, the number being so high right now, I, th I think you're right where I think, especially as you see some of these safe at home orders disappearing and things like that, you'll probably see that drop down very quickly. And then I'm thinking, at least my guess would be it would start to level off a little bit and go on a slower decline. So, you know, it spiked up fast, it'll probably drop down, maybe not <laughs> halfway, but maybe a third of the way or something, and then slowly start to that's a that's a great description of our our labor market forecast. We think about ten percent rate by the end of the year, and then slower recovery. But if we could get down to single digit unemployment as we get uh, into twenty twenty one, I think that puts us in a, a good position to continue to recover. Yeah, that would be huge if if we could get that down. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can continue to control this and and get people back to work. And uh, I th I think we've seen some success, obviously, with people implementing safety protocol and things like that. So hopefully that'll, that'll help and, and people will get confident that they can still go out and do some of the things that they normally would. We're not going to be filling stadiums anytime soon, but, you know, just being able to, to go into 
stores and and get your haircut and so y'all all don't look like we're the Beatles anymore here <laughs> uh, that would be a, a fantastic thing so um, let's talk for a moment uh, shift gears a little bit about regulation and um, affordability um, so everyone that's heard this podcast I, I bring up the the study that you guys did in 2015 in Wisconsin the cost for uh, uh, regulation that's added to the home is eighty four thousand six hundred and seventy one dollars to every new home from local, state, and federal regulation. Um, are there plans um, to do another study uh, on that or is that in process? And then where do you think that will go in the next period? So we, we do that survey every five years. Uh, so the next one is coming up. Uh, I, we got really good use out of the second edition of it. Uh, as you said, you know, the, the numbers state, uh, national, $80,000 on average, a little higher in some markets in terms of those regulatory impacts. If I had to guess based off of traveling to markets and talking to local builders associations, my expectation is that those regulatory costs are higher now than when we last did the study in wow. yeah, okay. 2015 data. Um, and one of the things I am a little bit concerned about is that we're going to see state and local governments under a revenue crunch because sure. of particular recession and the concern would be often that state and local governments will uh, go out and attempt to kill the golden goose. Uh, they will layer new taxes and fees on things that are operating and attempt sure. to get revenue stream. Um, hopefully they, they, they don't make that mistake because ultimately the way that a local economy prospers is through growth uh, not through taxes. And we had seen in 2019, this is again getting back to the momentum we were talking about, some real innovative ideas that were helping. Things like uh, liberalizing zoning rules or allowing uh, smaller lot development to enable builders to build housing and focus a little sure. bit less on yep. lot prices. Those yep. were all and good. We've seen a lot, house, or not lot house, um, but like home sizes, average square footage that's finally started to go on the decline. It had, yeah, it had been declining for about three or four years. We started to see the lot sizes go down. We saw uh, increases in market share for townhouse construction, which is at 12%. I thought those gains would continue. Now, some of that's likely to reverse. I think home size is going to creep up as people yep. need that additional space that we talked about. But Yeah, now, I think that, that may push that a little bit. And, and in our local, we've seen a challenge where a lot of the locals aren't as willing to go with the smaller homes. Um, and so even though, you know, they're clamoring for more affordability, um, they, we're not seeing it translate, you know, into, I had a subdivision where I wanted homes that were 100 square feet smaller than the <laughs> subdivision next to it, not a big jump. It, and these new homes are going to be over a hundred thousand dollars more than what was in the subdivision. I was getting pushback. Right. And, and that's the kind of thing that's just so tough to get around. You know, I, I brought appraisers in and everything, and it was still, um, you know, a tough hurdle to climb. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, the only way we can, it costs a certain amount just for the materials and everything. We're still dealing with the tariffs. Um, I guess, is there any, is there any uh, movement on that or is that pretty much stalled right now while we're dealing with the pandemic? Actually, I think we, we likely will see some positive movement on some of the tariffs. Now, I, I think issues with China are going to be very complicated <laughs> for the next yeah, Even more so now, right? Yeah. yeah and, we, and we estimate that about 31% of residential building materials that are imported into the U.S., we, we import about $65 billion a year. 31% come from China. So that, wow. that, that source will be diversified. We're going to import more from Taiwan and, and Vietnam and other countries, and we're going to have more domestic manufacturing. Uh, I I would hope if we could ease up a little bit on the lumber tariffs, that that's a, obviously a big part of our our building. That would be a huge one. Yep. 
Yeah, that would be helpful. So well, I think there's some opportunities to make some good economic policy moves uh, in the next year or two. And uh, one of the, the good pieces of news is that Jerry Howard, who's the CEO of NHB, he's on President Trump's uh, Economic Recovery Council. He's the only- Oh, that's fantastic. And he's, he's been giving these, this kind of advice, which is, you know, we know home building creates jobs. It's about three jobs per single family home. Help us do that uh, by making certain policy changes. That, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And I know that, um, you know, we're talking a little bit about the regulation. I, do, I, I didn't want to gloss over this one part of the topic, but I know one of uh, President Trump's th- things that he was really working on while he was in office was to, you know, if you're going to add a new regulation, you got to remove two. Um, has that had an impact at all on on cost? I mean, it's hard to track that specifically, but at least do you think there was some, uh, you know, progress on that? Within the building industry, I think what uh, the Trump administration accomplished was uh, stopping some really bad ideas that had been in motion for a while. Sure. Okay. Good news on things like waters of the U.S. HUD and use the the powers of the federal government, mostly through grants, to encourage or incentivize local governments to make improvements on regulatory costs and zoning rules. They were in the process of, of coming up with those ideas as we entered into this pandemic. I hope that that thinking process is still going to be deployed at some point, uh, and we'll see that in 2021. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad that that's still kind of on the on the the plan. I, I would imagine that things are getting pushed off a little as as obviously priorities change right now. Um, the last thing I really want to talk about just briefly is um, lot prices and availability. Um, here by in Wisconsin, our lot availability is is really small and um, just even two years ago, I think in, in our county, seven county area, I think we created like 1500 lots or something like that. And then the next year was like 700. And, <laughs> and so we're, I'm seeing this decline on new lots being created. I'm in the middle of just starting a subdivision right now. And it took me two and a half years to get this thing through the process. And I'm looking at what these things are going to cost. And it's, um, it's just, the price is obviously very high. And you wonder at some point, where are you going <laughs> to, hit the bubble on that, but what, what's happening nationally with lot creation and, and lot prices? Well, it's, it's the same old story that, uh, you know, lot uh, availability is really related to things like green space requirements, zoning rules, all those factors that held back uh, lot development. Um, I'm a little bit concerned in the short run about the availability of financing uh, for land developers. Sure. You saw an index that we track, it was at its tightest level since 2011. Uh, so the availability of credit to develop lots may be moving in the wrong direction, but I hope policymakers take the about the availability, uh, enable us to uh, use land that's available and develop it. Um, you know, I, one of the things I've, I've kind of wanted to write, I haven't written it yet because I don't want to, you know, sort of uh, be too controversial too quickly, but, you know, we do, we do need to have a discussion about density. And yep. so for all those critics of quote unquote urban sprawl over the last two decades, who now see the other side of the argument that, that single family housing might be the sort of the best option in an environment like this, Let, let's have that debate again. And so I, yeah. I think we're gonna move into a stage where local governments begin to open up things and then credit markets will follow. Yeah, that's, I think those are both good points, obviously. Um, you know, the uncertain economic situation, lenders may not want to necessarily take as much high risk um, loans and, and, and many you know, lenders got burned 
by developers um, during the last economic downturn. So I'm sure there's going to be some caution there. Uh, but and then the second point about density, I think, is a very valid point because that I think is one of the, the the biggest things that we can do to drive our costs down is be able to utilize more land, get things closer together, have have more density, and then save some of these. Uh, larger, you know, rural sites that people are moving to just because, you know, uh, they're just cheaper, you know, and, and keep things closer together, but yet reduce our cost. I think that makes That's a lot of sense. Yeah. So anything else you'd like to add? Any other perspective that you, you have? Uh, uh, no, leave I, us with a positive note, maybe. <laughs> I, 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 the positive note is, I think, you know, again, that two month, two quarter, two year perspective, we're coming near the end of that two month period that we knew was going to be bad. And it's, it's government imposed. So as yeah. we move into this two quarter period, we need to be looking for parts of the economy that are going to provide jobs and growth. And I think housing in general, whether it's realtors, builders, uh, all the stakeholders in the community are going to be leaders of the economy going forward yeah. because we're a sector that's got a lot of potential uh, energy uh, that can expand. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank uh, Robert Dietz again, Chief Economist from the National Association of Home Builders for joining us here on the Home Building Hero today. And I want to put a little plug in here as well. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the Eye on Housing blog that's done by the National Association of Home Builders. So eyeonhousing.org. Is that right? That is right. Thank you. Okay, awesome. So if you want to go on there, uh, Robert's always posting uh, updates and economic information on there. It's a great resource for anyone that wants to learn more about home building. And if you guys have enjoyed this episode of The Home Building Hero, please make sure to share the episode. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Wherever you're listening to your podcast, just hit the subscribe button and you get notified every time we drop a new episode. So thank you again, Robert, for uh, coming in. And we would love to have you back in a couple months here and uh, do an update and see uh, hopefully uh, some progress and positive news. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in to The Home Building Hero. And we'll talk to you all very soon.